Amen. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to uh, Romans chapter 12 this evening. I, um, uh, I've got something that's been kind of stirring in my heart for a little while. I really didn't know what to do with it. And it seems uh, good to the Holy Ghost and to me to, to just talk to you a little bit tonight about why bad things happen to good people. Uh, one of, well, let's read Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and then I'll make some comments. Paul's writing by the Holy Ghost to the church, born-again, spirit-filled believers just like you and me. He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, notice that's your job, not God's, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Notice the first thing he tells, the um, uh, first thing God demands of those that are born again is to do something with their bodies and renew their minds. Present their bodies a living sacrifice and renew their minds to the word of God. Now notice the last part of verse 2, that you may prove, prove, one translation or, or several translations actually, instead of saying prove, say no. That you may prove or know what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The word from the Greek language literally means to determine by experience. He's talking about experiencing something in your life. Notice he says that experiencing the will of God in your life comes from renewing your mind to the word. Not by being born again. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if we got born again all, all we could ever expect and the only things that ever happened to us from that point forward in this earth and in this life would be what God wills. Unfortunately, that's the way a lot of Christians think. They think whatever happens comes along because it's the will of God. Now, one of the things that, um, well, not one of the things, the thing that is the primary question that, uh, that Christians ask is, why did God let this happen? Fill in the blank on whatever this is. So many times the question is, why did God allow this? And, and people will split hairs and say, well, if God didn't cause it, maybe he allowed it. Or did he cause it? Did he allow it? People don't know. In other words, the greatest area of confusion in the body of Christ is concerning the will of God. But I've found, this is certainly true in my case and true in, in uh, almost 30 years of pastoring. I've found that those that have renewed the mind of the word don't have near the questions that the rest of the crowd has about what the will of God is. It's just something about renewing your mind to the word will show you what the word of God says about God's will. What is God's will? Now turn back with me to John chapter 10 because Jesus talked about something that, uh, that escapes most of the church. John chapter 10, Jesus recognized that there were opposing forces at work in the earth. Now, as I said, this is foreign territory to a lot of Christians because a lot of Christians think, at least they know they're supposed to think, that God is the supreme being and God is the sovereign being and so therefore the devil's not as strong as God, so therefore whatever happens in life must be the plan and purpose of God. But Jesus didn't talk like that. Notice what Jesus said, John chapter 10 and verse 10. Jesus said, the thief cometh not. Now everybody understands he's talking about the devil. The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. In other words, he's given us the, the devil's job description. Here's what the devil does. Here's what he always does. The devil comes but for one purpose, and that is to steal to kill and to destroy. In other words, any temptation that the devil brings you is a part of his agenda, no matter how pleasant it might be for your flesh, for the present time, for the, for the moment. Whatever temptation comes your way or comes against you is part of the, the devil's agenda, according to Jesus, if he knew what he was talking about, is part of the devil's agenda to steal from you, to kill you, or to destroy something you or your life, something in your life. The thief cometh not but for. Here's the only reason he comes. To steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I am come that they might have life. I am come that they might have life. And that they might have it more abundantly. Now folks, I'm, I'm uh, well, I don't care if you turn back with me or not. Let me read something to you from the Old Testament. Because this fits right in line. Jesus is fitting right in line with what God said to the, to the children of Israel in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Actually, this is Moses speaking to the children of Israel before he goes off the scene. Now, notice the similarity between what Jesus said and what Moses commanded the children of Israel. 
the, I, I made this statement before. Many of you know this, but for in case there are those who don't know this, let me make the statement again. The book of Deuteronomy primarily is Moses' farewell address to the children of Israel. He's going off the scene, and his, the whole purpose of the book of Deuteronomy, time and time and time again, he speaks in, in uh, different languages or different uh, words sometimes, but uh, it's always the same message, and that is keep the word of God or else these bad things will happen. Keep the word of God and these blessings will happen. Disobey the word of God and these consequences will occur. Over and over and over he says that. And is at uh, just about the end of his farewell address, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. Notice what he said. He said, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you. That's a pretty strong statement for Moses to make. He's saying, you need to understand how serious this is. This is the way it is. It's the way it always is. I call heaven and earth to record for this fact, regarding this fact concerning you. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death. He's speaking on behalf of God. That I have set before you life and death. Blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. Now, notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, I, set, I call heaven and earth to record against you that God has set before you life and death, and don't worry, it'll, it'll only be good things and blessings. Notice he didn't say, I call heaven and earth to record against you this day that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, and whichever way God wants it to be, that's the way it's going to be. Notice the responsibility is not God's. Because life and death is set before us, because blessing and curses are set before us, God's instruction through Moses to the children of Israel, if it belongs to them, it belongs to us. He's calling heaven and earth the record. That means this is the way it is. This is the way it's always going to be. The instruction is choose life. Choose life. Life and blessings are a choice. Life and blessings are not haphazard according to whatever God's will is for the individual at that point in time in their lives. Life and blessings are choices. And death and curses are choices too. That goes right along with what Jesus said. The thief comes not but for to kill, to steal, and to destroy. In other words, he's saying the devil is all about killing, stealing, and destroying. Death and curses. But I'm come that you might have life. Life and blessings. How do we get a hold of that life? You choose it. You choose it. You make the choice. Now turn with me over to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. Let's just start in, uh, well, let's just start in verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and of God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren which are with me under the churches of Galatia. Grace be unto you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Who, speaking of Jesus, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world. Notice he didn't say that he might deliver us from spiritual death. Notice it didn't say that he might deliver us from sin and sickness. Although that's a part of the the deliverance that's available to us. Notice what Paul said. He said Jesus gave himself to deliver us from this present evil world. Present evil world. Not eternity. Present evil world. Paul is saying that Jesus performed a work that enables us to escape the death and the curses that the devil has come to bring upon us. The killing, stealing, and destroying that the devil has come to bring upon us. Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. In other words, it's the will of God for you to be delivered from every evil that's in this world. It's the will of God for you to be delivered from every sickness, every disease, every sin, every lack, every attack of the enemy. Anything that can be associated with death, anything that can be associated with the devil, anything that can be associated with curses. It's the will of God for you to be delivered and escape from it. Paul said so. He said so by the Holy Ghost. 
Now, there's another scripture I want to bring your attention to, and you don't have to turn here, but it's Proverbs 26, verse 2. Proverbs 26, verse 2 says this. It says, As the bird by wandering and the swallow by flying, so the curse causeless shall not come. Now, let me interpret this scripture for you. We see birds flying in there, and it looks like they're going whatever and whenever and wherever they want to go. They'll change directions, at a, at a, you know, instantly. Looks like they're just flying for the, for the fun of flying in most cases. Swallows are a little different. Swallows travel in packs. And there's something that we should understand where we live here in the country. You've all heard the song about when the swallows return to Capistrano. Well, every year the swallows return to their nesting place. Most years it's the Mission Via Hill Mall, but it doesn't fit so well in the song. Well, what that's saying is very simply this. It's saying that even though it may look haphazard to us, a bird flying in the air may look haphazard to us, that bird has a purpose. He's flying by instinct and it has a purpose. Even though the swallows are indistinct to us, why they would return... And you've seen them fly in these big groups and stuff like that. And they'll, you know, zig and zag and do all this other kind of stuff. It looks like it's haphazard there too. But they have a purpose. They always return to where they nest. In the same way, even though it may look to us like there's no explainable or definable reason why the birds do what they do, there's always a cause. In the same way, the curse causeless shall not come. The curse will not come without a cause. The curse will not come without a cause. Now, remember where we started. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. Moses says to Israel, I call heaven and earth to record against you this day. I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Therefore, choose life that you and your seed may live. What's before us? Life and death, blessing and cursing. What are we going to have? whatever we choose in the same way proverbs 26 verse 2 is saying that every curse that comes has to be if the bible is consistent if the bible is true if god didn't lie to us every curse has to be a choice now is it a conscious choice most of the time not let me read another scripture to you and that's hosea chapter 4 and verse 6 Hosea is speaking on behalf of God, and here's what God said about the children of Israel. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I also will reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me. Seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. In other words, it's saying the same thing that Moses said in Deuteronomy. He's saying if you forget the law, if you turn away from the law, then there's a consequence. God is saying to people who have turned away from the law, here's the consequence. But notice what he says about why his people are destroyed. Notice he did not say my people are destroyed because I want it that way. In fact, God is lamenting the fact that they are being destroyed. My people are destroyed for one and only one reason, and that is for lack of knowledge. Now, why is that? how can we put all these things together and make it, make it make sense? Very simply. Lack of knowledge causes you to be unable to make what would seem to be and what we'd expect to be the obvious choice of life and blessing. In other words, a lot of people are choosing death and curses because they don't know. Very simply because they don't know. But if they did know, if they gained knowledge, you would expect, now this is not always the case, sadly, unbelievably, but it's not always the case that people with knowledge will make the right choice. But the Bible seems to indicate Jesus said so, Moses said so, Hosea said so, writer of the book of Proverbs said so, Paul said so. The indication is that with knowledge, you can always choose life and blessings and avoid the curse. In every case. In every case. Now, finally, turn with me over to, to uh, well, not finally, but turn with me over to, to uh, Psalm 91. Psalm 91, 
starting with verse 7. I don't want to read the whole thing, but I do want to read some of it. Psalm 91 talks about bad things happening to certain people. It says, A thousand, verse 7, A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. And notice first and foremost what God is saying. This is David writing uh, on, by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And David is indicating by the direction of God himself that no matter what happens to somebody else, you can always choose life. No matter what tragedy is taking place, you can always choose life and blessings. A thousand can fall at your right hand. In other words, a thousand can choose death on one side of you and 10,000 choose death on the other side of you. But you can choose life. A thousand shall fall at thy side and 10,000 at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. You'll see it. You'll see it happening to other people, but it won't happen to you. Now, this is God's plan. This is God's will. If it wasn't God's will, David wouldn't be telling us by the Holy Ghost that this is what God said. Because thou hast made the Lord, verse 9, because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high thy habitation, there shall no evil, no evil, no evil. He didn't say not much evil. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. Now, first evil, you could substitute uh, death. You could substitute curses because those are all evil things in the sight of God. Those are all things contrary to God's will. There shall no death come nigh thee. There shall no curses come nigh thee. Remember, the curse causeless does not come. The curse does not come except for a reason. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. In other words, when you make your choice, you put the angels to work. Now, this doesn't negate what we, what we read in other places. What Moses said was still true. I call heaven and earth the record against you this day that I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Therefore, choose life that you and your seed may live. So when you make that choice for life, look at the protection, the hedge of protection that it provides. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee on all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the dragon, shalt thou trample under feet. I love these last three verses. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. Here's God speaking first person about those who set their love upon him. God says, because he, let's hope that means you. It certainly means me. Because you have set your love upon him, therefore will he deliver you. God says, I will set you on high because you have known my name. You shall call upon me, God says, and I will answer you. I will be with you in trouble. I will deliver you and honor you. The word honor is interesting because it means to weigh down with blessings. Deliver means to rescue. It's a different word used here. It means to rescue. I will rescue you and I'll weigh you down with blessings. With long life. Long life. How long is long? As long as you want it to be. With long life I shall satisfy you, God said, and show you my salvation. Now long may be a different number for you than it is for me. But I guess we can identify long as being the point where we're satisfied. Well, I'm not satisfied yet. Well, then keep choosing life. Keep choosing life. Now turn with me over to 1 Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter five. Uh, let's start reading in verse. Uh, let's start reading in verse six. Peter's writing. Here's another voice inspired by the Holy Ghost. It's God speaking through a number of different people. The Bible says, "In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established." We certainly found two or three already, but we'll keep adding to the list. 
Verse 6, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may beat you down. Isn't that what most of the church world thinks humbling yourself means? Well, I'm just a worm. My righteousness is his filthy rags. Those are scriptures, you know. Yeah, but they're not, they don't belong to you. Now, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. How do you humble yourself to the mighty hand of God? You accept what he said to be true as true. Whether you think so or not. Whether it feels like it to you or not. To humble yourself to God, unto God, is to humble yourself to the word. That means if the word says you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and you don't feel like you are, you've got a choice to make. I call heaven and earth the record against you this day. That have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Which one are you going to choose? You choose the word, you choose in life. You're humbling yourself. You're humbling your own thoughts. You're humbling your own feelings to the word of God. Now, the devil will tell you just the opposite. The devil will tell you it's humbling or being humble, the act of being humble, not to think that you are what the Bible says you are. Oh, what arrogance for somebody to say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. How arrogant for somebody to say, I'm more than a conqueror through him that loved me. How arrogant is that? Well, not in God's definition. God says that's humility. God says humility is accepting what he said to be true to be true. That's how you choose life. You choose what he says. You choose what he's done to be the fact of you and your life. The facts for you in your life. And not how you feel or what you think. Remember you determine. You know you experience the will of God. By renewing your mind to the word. Not renewing your mind to your thinking and your feelings. You don't have to renew your mind to that. You're used to submitting to those. That's why renewing your mind to the word is is a process. It's a job. It's work. It takes discipline. Because you've got to catch those thoughts that contradict the word and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not going to choose my old way of thinking because that's death and curses. I'm going to choose God's word because that's life and blessings. You make that choice with every thought that you think. Every thought that you think is a a choice for either life or death. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. How in the world is God going to exalt you? He's going to make the word of God come to pass in your life. The word that you choose to accept as truth will become reality for you. Isn't that what Moses said? Obey the word and all these blessings will come on you. Reject the word and all these curses will come on you. That's how you choose life or choose death. Simple choice. Again, a lot of people make the wrong choice because of a lack of knowledge, but you can't claim that lack of knowledge. You know. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. How do we do that? Casting all your care upon him, for one thing. Casting all your care, the whole of your care upon him, for he careth for you. In other words, you've got to quit worrying. If you're going to humble yourself to the mighty hand of God, you're going to have to accept what the word of God says is true and the word never tells you to worry. In fact, the Bible says be anxious. Be not anxious, excuse me. It says be anxious and sin not in one place. In another place it says be not anxious nor fret. Don't worry. Don't have any anxiety or any concern about anything. Why? Because God's word is always true. God's word is always proclaiming victory for you. Casting all of your care, the whole of your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober. I like verse 8. Be sober. Sober-minded, in other words. The word sober, anytime the word sober is used in Scripture in the New Testament, it always comes from the root word that means not moved by emotions. So when the Bible tells you to be sober or to be sober-minded, it tells you to think independent of your emotions. Well, if we're going to think independent of our emotions, what are we going to think according to? What the word says. Because remember the rule is to renew your mind to the word. Then you'll know and experience the will of God in your life. Be sober. Not moved by emotions. Be vigilant. That means keep your eyes open. Be awake. Because 
Here's why. Here's why you can't yield to your emotions. You can't let your emotions rule your life. Here's why you can't let yourself go to sleep. Because your adversary, you do have an adversary. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion. Notice it doesn't say he is a roaring lion. It says he's as a roaring lion. Well, what's a roaring lion like? As a roaring lion means like one. What's a roaring lion like? He makes a lot of noise. Notice he didn't call him a lion with great big teeth. Notice he didn't call him a lion with sharp claws. He says the devil's like an animal that makes a lot of noise. The fact is he doesn't have any teeth because Jesus defeated him. The fact is he doesn't have sharp claws because Jesus overcame him. Jesus spoiled principalities and powers and made a show of them openly. The Bible says in one translation that Satan is a paralyzed foe. Be sober, be vigilant, keep on alert. Because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. May devour. May devour. Notice it's not the devil picking and choosing who he's going to devour. That's not what the Bible says. When I was in second grade, a teacher had a hard time teaching us to say the difference the, the, between the difference between can I, teacher, can I, and teacher, may I. She wouldn't let us go to the bathroom unless we asked right. And she wouldn't even tell us why, what was right and the way to say it. So we were sitting there crossing our legs before we finally figured it out. And ever since we did, once we did, then any time say, teacher, can I go to the bathroom? She'd say, I don't know. Can you? Because can has to do with ability. But when we say, teacher, may I go to the bathroom? She'd say, certainly. Go right ahead. In other words, she gave us permission. May is a word related to permission. Notice what the devil is looking for. He's looking for somebody that will give him permission. In other words, he's looking for somebody that will choose death. He's looking for somebody that will choose curses. Be sober. Be vigilant. Now, folks, my emotions are the same as yours. Maybe not as highly developed, but they're still there. And I sometimes feel like the devil is coming to me with full force and there's nothing I can do about it. We all feel like that from time to time. But you can't be moved by those feelings. The Bible says... That if we resist the devil, he'll flee from us. No matter how it feels, no matter whether you feel weak or feel strong, the Bible says resist the devil and he'll flee from you. That's James 4, 7 and 8. There are times when I'm not paying as much attention as I should and the devil comes upside uh, from my blind side and knocks me for a loop, just like he does for all of us. That's why the Bible says to be sober and be vigilant. Stay on alert. Another reason why it says to stay on alert is because you're constantly making choices for either life or death. Constantly making choices between blessings and curses. Constantly. You can't drop your guard for even a moment. Why? Because the devil's looking for somebody that will give him permission. So he's going to come at you when you're at your weakest. He's going to come at you when you feel your weakest. He's going to come at you when you're the most... Uh, asleep to his work because all he's trying to do is get you to relax a little bit and give him permission to devour you but the indication is he can't devour you unless you let him he can't devour you unless you let him so what are we to do be sober be vigilant because your adversary here's the reason why because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion Oh, he wants to make a lot of noise. He wants to sound mean. As a roaring lion walketh about, seeking, looking for whom he may devour. Who's going to give him permission? So what are we going to do? Verse 9. Whom, talking about the devil, resists steadfast in the faith. As I said, James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. One translation says he will run from you as in terror. So Peter, inspired by the Holy Ghost, talking about the same subject, says, Whom, therefore, resist the devil, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. In other words, it works the same way with everybody. 
The devil's not throwing something different at you than he throws at anybody else. He's not throwing something bigger at you than he throws at anybody else. He's got the same stuff. He makes noise looking for somebody that he can devour. He's looking for somebody that he can scare into giving him permission to devour them by choosing death. It's all the same thing, folks. But you know as well as I do. Now, now let me say this. I, I thought of this earlier, and I needed to come back and make a, make a, a point of clarification. Proverbs 26, 2 says, As the bird by wandering and the swallow by flying, the curse causeless shall not come. You realize that being tempted with something is not the curse itself, don't you? See, a lot of people are tempted, and they think because the temptation has come that they failed. Folks, the greatest saint of God is tempted. Jesus was tempted. The temptation is not sin itself. Now, whether that temptation is a temptation to sin, a temptation to lie, a temptation to, to take a step outside of love, a temptation to accept sickness or disease, poverty is a temptation. These are all things that Jonah called lying vanities in the mouth of the whale, in the belly of the fish. He called his circumstances lying vanities. Now, folks, they were physical realities, but he called them lying vanities. Because they were contrary to the deliverance and the protection that God's word says was his. So in the middle of the belly of the fish, he called the physical realities, the physical physical circumstances, he called them lying vanities. Why? Because he's choosing life. And the choice for life in his case, in his situation, was he accepted the word of God concerning deliverance, concerning protection, concerning long life, to be more true and more real then what other fish acid was in the stomach digesting food? It was more real than the seaweed that was wrapped around his head. It was more real than the roller coaster ride he was taking in that side that fish underwater. So he called them lying vanities. So the temptation itself is not sin. The temptation does not mean you have sin. Now that's what the devil will do. The devil will bring the temptation and says, oh boy, you've missed it. He'll try to put sickness or disease on you and say, oh, you've missed it. Now, why, we, how, why have we missed it? You need to have these conversations with the devil. No, Mr. Devil, I haven't missed it. You just brought temptation to me. But I choose life. I choose healing instead of sickness. I choose blessing instead of lack. I choose abundance instead of poverty. These are all lying vanities. These are all things of you. This is part of you trying to make noise. Talk me into choosing death so you can devour me, but I'm not going to do it. So where it says the curse caused this shall not come, it does not mean the temptation caused this shall not come. It means the result of choosing death shall not come without a cause. Do you understand that? The devil tries to beat you up with things that you haven't done wrong. He's the accuser of the brethren, and many of those are false accusations. Most of them are. All of them are if you accept the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus is the truth. Even if you did make the mistake that he's accusing you of, if it's under the blood, it's not you anymore. But we all know situations where dear saints, good Christians, sometimes preachers, respected people, loved by many, have found themselves in, in dire situations, in some cases have lost their lives. What about those cases? What about those situations? I'm thinking of a situation uh, where there was a, a, a missionary, well-known missionary. This was back in the 80s, uh, late 80s, I guess, maybe early 90s. But anyway, this uh, well-known missionary had done a phenomenal work of God in a Latin American country. I mean, he had turned that country upside down. I say he had done it. You know what I mean by that. God used him and established a great outpost missionary outpost he had spread over into other countries he had bible schools he had missions works he had all kinds of stuff going on he was the name to be known when it came to work in latin america well he had uh, his whole family was involved he had uh, grown children that were uh, involved in uh, in the ministry he had his brother that was involved in the ministry just a bunch of family members and cousins and, and all kinds of kinds of folks it was uh, uh, kinds of relatives i mean it was just a, a big a big work. And as you can uh, well imagine, down in Latin American countries, uh, transportation is different there than it is here. And so uh, several of the men, uh, himself included, uh, 
were pilots. And they'd have these small uh, aircraft and single and twin engine aircraft that could go in and make these hop, skip, and jump into small villages type things. All they needed was a, an open field where they could land and, and that kind of stuff. And they could uh, get to places that would take days traveling on places that didn't even have roads in many cases, I guess. And so they would fly these airplanes, and they'd had many, several airplanes, uh, a fleet of them, actually. They had five or six that I know of uh, that had been given to them by their ministries to help them do the work and, and that kind of thing. Well, out of the blue, news came to everybody that, uh, that this uh, minister and several of his family members had been killed in a plane crash. And it rocked everybody on their heels. I mean, this is a man of faith. He's a guy that's praying for the sick. He's seen people healed and delivered and, and so forth. He preached healing and preached the faith uh, based on the word of God. He's just not somebody you would expect that to happen to. And so it just sent ripples of shockwaves throughout the word of faith groups. And, uh, and, of course, everybody, you get in situations like that, and people want to have the answers. People want to be able to say, well, here's what and here's why and all this kind of stuff. And. You need to remember Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the secret thing belongs to the Lord. Unless God shows you, you're not going to know what's going on with somebody else. But in this particular situation, there was one person. There were, there were um, I think, eight people on board. Seven of them were killed. There was one person that was a daughter-in-law. One person survived this uh, crash. And she was uh, banged up pretty bad and... and uh, um, in critical condition for a long time and so it was uh, several months later before the um, before she was able to get out and really talk and and uh, tell much of what happened and and you know a situation like that nobody wants to press upon the survivor immediately after the event and, and so forth so anyway it took a, took a period of time but I heard her say something her her father was a minister and uh, uh I heard, actually, I heard him tell the story of what she said in private. She came, came to, to the place where she said something publicly at a later date. But he said this. He was talking to a group of ministers that I was part of. And he said this. He said, you know, my daughter said something about that plane crash. Many of you don't know. And he explained the story, how that she was, on, she was uh, married to this guy's son. And everybody was killed in a plane crash. Everybody had heard the story. And, uh, and he said, well, here's what my daughter told me. He said, my daughter told me that as they were loading up the plane, there were several of them on that plane that said, Dad, that's what everybody called the the head guy, Dad, we're overloaded. We shouldn't fly. We got too many people and we got too much uh, freight, too much equipment on this thing. And he made excuses and he said, well, we got to go. We got to go. And they said, well, okay, we understand that. Time's short. We got to get there as quick as we can. We understand that. But then they, they stopped and, and said again, they were starting down the runway, and her husband, she said, was the last one to speak up. There were about three of them on the flight that had said something. Finally, her husband was the last one just before they lifted off the ground. He said, Dad, we don't need to do this. I really have a witness in my heart. I've got something telling me, don't go, don't go, don't go. Well, they lifted up jungles of Latin America. They tried to get over to the top of a mountain, couldn't get enough lift, enough altitude, and so they crashed into the side of the mountain. Everybody but her was killed. So you get in situations where tragedy occurs. And in most cases, the ones that are left, and you can understand this because of grieving, because of pain, whatever the case might be, there are all kinds of questions that are left behind for those that are left behind. Those that are left behind are left with questions is what I'm trying to say. And those questions are ones that many times people try to answer. And unless the Lord shows you, there is no answer you can give them. And sometimes people through their grief will turn away from the Lord and they'll, they'll say, well, I don't know why God let this happen. Well, in that particular case with this plane crash, God was speaking to three or four of the people trying to say, don't do this. Don't let this happen. In fact, it's consistent with the, the character and the nature of God to warn every one of his children to avoid tragedy. We've got situations. I remember the, um, oh, who was it? I, I didn't know the guy personally, but the, um, the founder of In-N-Out Burger, Christian guy, he was killed in a plane crash. One of the things that I saw people saying after the memorial service, or maybe it was at the memorial service, people were saying, well, God called him home. God called him home. 
And like I said, people want to have the answers for things. Well, I wonder if God was warning him not to go. Nobody talks about that. Nobody talks about the possibility that God was trying to give somebody a witness of the Spirit. Romans eight fourteen: as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. As on this plane crash with the other group, there were several guys that were conscious of the Holy Ghost. Whether they knew it was the Holy Ghost or not, they spoke up saying, we shouldn't go. We shouldn't go. Well, which way did they choose? They chose the action that resulted in death, physical death. Thank God they're all in heaven. But they chose the action that resulted in the physical death. I wonder if it was the same way with that other guy. I know another group, uh, a board member, a brother Hagen, that was killed during the, the um, uh, early 80s in a plane crash. Big donors, greatly used of God, greatly used in the full gospel businessmen's fellowship at the time, well-known in that part of the country, doing great things for God. He was killed in a plane crash. He and his brother both were killed in a plane crash. Well, there was a survivor from that one too. They were socked in. They were not instrument rated on their plane. And they started, uh, and the, the pilot said, we don't need to try to land. The, 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 the cloud cover is too great. We can't see where we're going. And one of these guys, these minister guys said, oh, just go on down. God will part the clouds for us. Well, apparently he didn't. But he had a voice in the, in the cockpit from the pilot who was saved as well, who knew the Spirit of God as well, saying, we don't need to do this. Be sober, be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Seeking whom he may devour. Now, folks, I dare say that none of those people knew they were making a choice for death. But in each one of these cases, they were. But people that are left behind, well, we don't know why God allowed that. Folks, there are always going to be questions that we have here on the earth. But let me tell you something. The people that are in heaven, the people that have experienced it and have already graduated to heaven, they don't have any questions about it at all. If you get to heaven and say, we don't know why God let you die in a plane crash, they'll answer right away. Say, oh, God didn't do that. We made a stupid choice. But we're so glad to be here anyway. It'd be kind of like this. I, I got to thinking about this the other day. What if all of a sudden the state of California decided that there are no restrictions or limitations on drivers anymore? You don't have to have a driver's license. You don't have to study the driving handbook. You don't have to take a, driving, a written test or a, a driving test. If you want to drive, just get yourself a car and drive. Can you imagine the chaos we'd have in the cities? The reason for that is because a lot of people are going to be driving down the road based on what they think about driving, based on how they feel about driving, instead of based on the rules of the road. That's the way it is spiritually. You don't have to have a spiritual license to navigate life. And a lot of people don't know that the Bible is the handbook. That it tells you the rules of the road. And so what happens is people go barreling down through their lives based on their thoughts or based on their feelings or whatever, maybe based on what somebody told them. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that would tell new drivers, well, I just pray whenever I get in the car and it all works out. I'm sure there'd be all kinds of stupid advice, just like Christians give other believers stupid advice unscriptural and stupid advice I wonder how many people are going down through their Christian lives driving through the downtowns of traffic spiritual traffic blowing through red light after red light after red light and finally have a wreck and say well I don't know why God let this happen to me I see certain situations where people find themselves in trouble and, and we certainly have compassion for people as God said, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. But the people that I have the most compassion for are the people that won't hear. I don't have compassion for the people that know and won't, won't obey, won't give heed to it. 
People that don't know, I can have compassion for them. We need to tell them the truth. But the people that we've already told the truth and are just blowing through red light after red light after red light, it's hard to have compassion for them. So I see people that have made messes of their lives and I wonder, how many red lights did they blow through before they finally hit something solid? And of course, God gets all the blame. God gets all the blame. Well, I don't know. Just don't know why God let this happen to me. I was trusting it. That faith stuff must not work. I just don't understand why God put me in this predicament. When all the time he's probably given us red light after red light, signal after signal. Stop what you're doing. Take another path. Or whatever the case might be. Why do good things, why do bad things happen to good people? Because people, whether by deliberate or lack of knowledge choices, choose death. I believe God is consistent. I believe God is true. I believe his word works in every situation. I don't believe it's haphazard. I don't believe it's hit and miss. And if the Bible says that God will deliver you from every evil work of the devil, Jesus came to destroy all the works of the devil, which means... There is not one that you can't use the leading of the Holy Ghost and the word of God to overcome if we'll just take our times and hear from the Holy Ghost, hear from our own spirits. I don't believe there's one thing that the devil can do to us that we can't find victory in. Not one. If God's word's true, that has to be the case. Has to be. Absolutely has to be. So what are we to do? Well, there are two steps that I believe make the difference. Two steps that will enable you to navigate successfully through spiritual traffic. Both have to do with being spirit conscious. Number one, be a doer of the word. Renew your mind to the word. Refuse to yield to your emotions. Refuse to yield to the old way of thinking. But renew your mind to the word so that you will know what is the will of God for your life. You'll experience it for yourself. Secondly, has to do with the witness of the Holy Ghost, the inward witness. Again, we'll quote Romans chapter 4 verse, uh, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 8 verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Well, how's he going to lead us? We're children of God. How's he going to lead us? Verse 16 says the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. He bears witness with our spirits. He bears witness with our spirits. You know one of the reasons why the devil roars? Because he's trying to get you to hurry up. He's trying to make you to get you to make an impulsive choice. Rather than take your time and maintain the peace of God in your life, find out the leading of the Holy Ghost, the leading of the Spirit, the witness of the Spirit of God within, so that you can make a successful choice every time. Now, what brings that about? Well, one of the greatest ways you're ever going to find the inward witness is by speaking in other tongues. Paul said, for if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prays. Well, if your spirit is the candle of the Lord, if your spirit is the place where the inward witness is going to be realized... And recognize that the more you can exercise and utilize your spirit man in your life, the greater recognition you'll have for that inward witness. I've got the greatest witnesses of the spirit I've ever had have come one of two ways. Either while I'm praying in other tongues or as a result of spending a lot of time praying in other tongues. I get a lot of things ministry-wise as far as the leading of the Holy Ghost, the inward witness, while I'm praying in other tongues. God seems to give me a witness for the things concerning the church while I'm praying in other tongues. Most of that has to do with, uh, with ministry-related things. But where I, my personal life is concerned, I find that he speaks to me in a number of ways, many times out of the blue, when I'm walking in fellowship and in conscious of spiritual things. There's no greater way to do that than through the word of God and by speaking in other tongues. That doesn't mean you have to speak in tongues all day long. But you do need to make it a regular practice every day of your life. I like what Smith Wigglesworth answered when somebody asked him. He was used in a great way. Revelation gifts of the spirit. Power gifts of the spirit. He raised 20 some odd people from the dead in his ministry. He must have known something about God. People asked him, Brother Wigglesworth, how much do you pray? How often do you pray? He said, well, I rarely pray over anything or about anything for more than 30 minutes at a time. 
See, that blows a lot of people's idea of a prayer life. Most people have the idea, and the devil wants you to think that you've got to spend hour after hour after hour after hour praying if you're going to hear from God. You don't. So he said, I rarely pray over anything, any one thing, for more than 30 minutes at a time. Then he added this. He said, but I never go 30 minutes without praying. In other words, he carried on a running conversation with God all day long. I found that works wonders for me. Just works wonders. Carry on a running conversation with God all day long. What do you talk to him about, Pastor Mike? A lot of times I'm talking to him about his word. A lot of times I'm speaking the word of God. That's fellowshipping with him. That's putting him in remembrance of what he said. I'm reminding him of things that he's told me in the past. Things that haven't yet been realized. That's fellowship with God. Sometimes I'm speaking in other tongues. Why do you do that? Because I like it. Because I like it. It used to be when I first started speaking in tongues, it was a chore. Now it makes me feel good. I enjoy it now. See, the more you give yourself to the things of God, the more you enjoy giving yourself for them. You have to make it a practice in your life through discipline first. Then it becomes an enjoyable thing. Choose life. Choose the word of God. Choose the inward witness. Choose the peace of God as your guide. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the Holy Ghost, the witness of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, that we can be led of the, the Holy Spirit, led of God. Our steps are going to be ordered in everything we do in life. Thank you, Father, that you care about everything we care about. We care about our finances, and so do you. We care about our physical well-being, and so do you. We care about our spiritual well-being, and you certainly care about that too. Thank you, Father, for leading us and guiding us through the word and by your spirit in Jesus' precious name. We choose life, Father. We choose your word. We choose the witness of the spirit. We choose life and blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.